Hey, I'm Allison Hare, and welcome to Little Left of Center, the podcast that interviews culture changers that are reshaping our world and breaking new ground. Today's guest is Marnie Grodson. She is the founder of Gathered and Grounded. She has opened a support space for mental, emotional, social, and physical health services for youth and the people who take care of them in Decatur, Georgia. Parenting and raising humans is really tough today, so I was excited to get her in the hot seat and learn some great tips on how we can screw our kids up a little bit less. I hope you learn as much as I did. Welcome, Marnie. I'm so glad that you could be here. Thank you for having me. Yes. So today on the podcast is Marnie Grodzin. Am I pronouncing that right? Good for you. With Gathered and Grounded. And one of the things as I have been building this podcast is I thought I would love to have some parenting experts. And it's such a weird, it's like the wild, wild west, you know, like when we were growing up, we didn't have social media. We didn't have the things that kids are faced with today. There's no roadmap for it. And I'm a parent, I'm I'm friends with a lot of parents, and we spend a lot of time trying to figure out how do we not fuck up our kids. (laughs) So I heard about Gathered and Grounded. And in fact, somebody had told me I should interview you. And I was like, yes, so on board with this. So if you could just please introduce who you are and what you do. Okay. The quick version is, I'm Marnie. My professional background, I'm a social worker. I've been a social worker for a very long time. And I've worked in a variety of settings from hospitals, foster care, children's advocacy centers. I had a small private practice at one point. And in later years, probably the last seven or eight years, I really got into the body part, the body and mind connection. Talk therapy is great, and I'm an advocate for it. Medicine, I'm an advocate for it if needed. But we know a lot more about the nervous system. And so I went and got training in yoga. I've been a yogi for, oh gosh, close to 18 years. But again, the last seven years, it's been more of what we call like a therapeutic yoga perspective. And that's really focusing on the breath, meditation, and body. And for kids, they're starting to get yoga in school, they're starting to get mindfulness, there's just not a place for them to go to get that that has easy access. Yeah, kudos to a lot of local yoga studios, they will have classes for kids, but it tends to be like in the spots where they have free time in the studio, or they're just not thinking about a student's schedule or youth schedule. And working with youth from preschool up to high school, I feel like I have a good pulse on um, what are good times. Like an example, I have a Sunday night class in the winter. We had a class for high schoolers from 830 to 930 at night because that's when they're usually not busy. They're home, um, their weekend's over, and why not come to a yoga class kind of chill out and reset for the week to come. That led me to Gathered and Grounded. So why children? It sounds like you have a background in social work and have Mm -hmm. been involved in all of this. Um, Tell me how that iteration came to focus primarily on youth. Well, a few different reasons. In our mission, it is mentioned, like all the things that we do, it's just essentially a holistic perspective to support social, emotional, mental, and physical um, health for youth and those who care for them. Youth in general, what I have found, particularly teens, they are like the ones who are lost. Um, Where we're located in Decatur, 
there's plenty for little ones. And I think this is probably can be taken to other communities too. There's plenty of opportunities for little ones, you know, whether it's, you know, camps, going to the park and, you know, just playing at home, having play dates. And then you get to the grade school and there's opportunities. And then you kind of get to middle school and kids start to change what they want to do. And then high school. And then you get to young adults, you know, they've got the whole social scene. You get to people our age, there's a variety of things. And then in Decatur, we have a really um, strong, active retirement community. And so looking around, there's just not a lot for that middle school and high school age. And so the messages they get are, you know, I mean, we don't use the words don't do drugs anymore, because that doesn't, that's not um, productive to say. But basically, what is productive to say? Productive to say is more of a standpoint of twofold. One is getting messages to the adult community to think about their behavior, but their behavior as far as the languaging that they use, you know, they're setting the example. What I can say is a a leadership team that I work with at Decatur High School, they put together uh, PSA posters that they put around Decatur And their message was, I had mentioned to them in kind of giving an example was, you know, guys, for years, I always said, because it was kind of popular in the group that I was with, oh my gosh, it's been such a day, I'm going to, you know, go home and have a glass of wine. And I said, realistically, "Mm, maybe 98% of the time I didn't, but that's what I said. So what message does that send my kids in my house who hear that or any other kids who tend to be in my life when I could have said like, oh my gosh, it's been a day I need to hit the gym or I need Mm. to like go get a pedicure, you know, whatever is helpful to someone. And that gives the message to the kids that, you know, there's other alternatives. So that's a big component too. The big movement right now in the prevention world is for that teenager is getting them specifically when it talks to vaping. And I know your kids are a little bit younger. I'm not sure if you know all that culture of what's going on. I just know it's a really big epidemic. Yes. And that um, people are trying to regulate it as best they can or try and reverse it. But I, I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not exposed to it. Yeah, there's a, a lot basis. of misinformation out there. But using vaping as an example is, you know, giving kids the opportunity to see that it's big business who's really after them, who wants them to start using because it's money. And so if you look at marketing, if you look at times that you see, you know, vaping or juuling, juuling's a type of vaping device, it's in the music videos they watch, it's in the movies that teens watch, it's in print, it's in these ads that come up, you know, in different social media. So things like that where if you say don't, it's always reverse. Kids are going right. to do it. <laughs> Right. And and information's helpful too, but you know, what makes a difference to them? And this generation, as much as I mean, they are independent and they like to make their own decisions, pretty much that's always a teenager. And so if you hear like people are trying to make money off of you, these this big business, and they're not giving you all the facts, you know, that will empower a lot of kids. Of course, there's some kids that's not necessarily going to reach. The reality is when it comes to vaping and all other drugs, including alcohol, is what we're finding. It's becoming a coping mechanism for kids in the leveling of anxiety and depression that they're facing. And it sounds like the services that you offer 
When I was reading up on you and the people that support you, you've got somebody who helps with bibliography, like books. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is really cool. Like somebody who's an expert knitter. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I have notes here. Somebody who teaches classes on the science of happiness, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lego serious play facilitator, (laughs) and then of course yoga. Yeah. Um, These are these are really interesting ways. And and my thought is, I imagine that a lot of people may feel like hearing this that it's too touchy feely. What do you know? that you wish other people could know? Wow, that's a good question. So in in Gathered and Grounded, we have the yoga. And then like what you mentioned, the Lego play, the science of happiness. Those are all workshops to improve your life, basically. And all those people that are on there, Christine, who does the knitting, anyone who does, let's say, a workshop, they don't necessarily work for Gathered and Grounded. They might come to me and say, hey, I have this to offer. That would be great. So like the knitting, the knitting is known to be kind of meditative. Yeah. And you know, you can knit. It's not meditative for me because (laughs) I say a lot of F-bombs when I do it. I don't don't do it. I, I just, I can't. It's just not me. I love the out, like the project at the end. But Christine's intention was with knitting, they're learning a skill, it's meditative, and they're sitting in a group. And maybe they'll talk, maybe they won't. But it's a break, and it's a break from technology. So in regards to the touchy-feely, I think some of the things that are on there definitely are. We've well, also, I'm not saying yeah. there's a problem with the touchy-feely. I think it's more a change in the culture and the, in the paradigm shift of what has been done for so many decades and generations before no longer works. It just no mm-hmm. longer works. And mm-hmm. I find that people are saying, Go outside. That's your medicine. Yeah. But there are other ways to get it. Um, so so by no means is that me saying it's too touchy-feely, but you're trying to reach a community. Is it more proactive? Is it reactive? Why do people come to you? And how how do we change the mindset of parents that may dismiss it because it's not offered in every single school? Yeah. The best way to look at it is it's like gathered and grounded is a big toolbox. I mean, we just have camps, you know, too. Essentially, the question I was... there are a zillion questions, but <laughs> how do you change a community that, you know, like yes. the standard school offerings? And it, it sounds like you do work in schools or in preschools, because mm-hmm. I think it's so important to teach them so young. Yes. You know, like yes. my son is six and my son is sensitive. He is shy. He is nothing like me, mm-hmm. you know, and he's he's cautious and he, what we're learning, he gets picked on at school because he's very small. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not as fast as the other kids. He's not as athletic. Mm-hmm. And what we're learning is that his sense of social belonging fuels whether he's happy or not. Yes. And he doesn't need to be liked by everybody. He's generally very well liked. Yeah. But somebody tells him he's small. He can shut down for the day, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but if he has like his touchstone or his buddy that he trusts, yes. he is bouncing off the walls most of the time. Mm-hmm. So I feel like my husband and I are, are as proactive as we can be. We're on like an anti-suicide mission and he's mm-hmm. six. And mm-hmm. not not that he's thinking of killing right. himself or, or even having this language of it, but we can see a path for, we don't want to shield him from this. We don't want to tell him, well, you'll grow someday or, yeah. you know, they're jealous of you because that stuff doesn't work. It doesn't resonate right. anymore. And so we, we our, our antidote is how do we teach 
teach him how to be a leader and how to be an upstander and how to help people. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to figure out where where does Gathered and Ground, like I saw the programs that you offered. I'm like, I would sign my kids up and myself for all of these. <laughs> They're amazing. I think mm-hmm. it's an incredible gift to be able to give them an option to express themselves in mm-hmm. ways that maybe aren't as traditional, not as not traditional. They're just not generally offered in a school curriculum. So as you can tell, I'm really passionate about this, <laughs> but I want to know what it what it's like on on your service. Like how can you expand and scale that? Gotcha. You know, how can okay. you change a community? Okay. Um, so two different things. Or change fir- a mindset. The first in regards to your son and what you were talking about, I think like a word to summarize it is resiliency mm-hmm. because, you know, we care about our kids. And I know exactly probably where your mind is. I mean, things happen with our kids. And as a parent, it's like, boom, they're 15 and they're not going to have friends and yes. what's going to happen. And, <laughs> da, 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 da. and when you hear, you know, everything out in the world. And so I, I totally get that. And where is that line? And I do this all the time. I mean, my son's going to be 18. My daughter's going to be 13. You can't pull him from that situation, right? I don't want to pull. Yeah, you don't want to to learn how to deal with. You want to learn him to deal, right? And so, what got me to this point of one of the things that got me to the point of opening Gathered and Grounded is also trying to like kibosh the stigma on mental health. Mm -hmm. And we have an uptick in the level of anxiety and depression in teenagers. Suicide in, I think it's ages 16 through 24 is the second cause of death in Mm. the United States. And um, is that more with male or female? Or is it? I think males are more successful. Wow. With knowing all that, I have battled with my own mental health, which we were talking about our ages. I'm 46. And I was skipping along in life until I was like 38, 39. I didn't recognize all of this until I was like 41-ish. What happened? Um, Just major depression, but it like, you know, was cyclical and it would get worse and it would get worse. And then, you know, finally one day it was just like thoughts of not wanting to be here Mm. and, you know, all sorts of things, you know, fast forward a little bit, got to the point where I went into Emory for an outpatient program, had to step out of some things I was involved in with kids. And when I stepped back into the high school with what I was doing, they were told, you know, Marnie's sick. I don't know when she's going to be back. Typically, when we tell someone that someone's sick, their mind goes to cancer. Mm -hmm. And I ran into some of those kids, and I could tell by the way they looked at me, they thought it was something serious. I mean, mental health is serious, but in their mind, like cancer, like she's dying. So I just was completely transparent with them. I told them what I went through, talked about stigma, all of that. And I really started thinking, how do we help support and change a generation Um, with feeling comfortable and saying, hey, I need help or just talking, this is going on. Is this normal? I mean, I don't know if this is normal. I'm seven years old and I'm having these feelings like I'm really sad and there's no reason why I should be really sad. So how do we get them to be verbal, to feel comfortable if we as adults don't share our journeys? Mm -hmm. And not to say that it's, you know, has to be tattooed on our forehead and we share it with everyone, but there's a time and a place. And So I I made it a personal mission back then that when it was appropriate, and we're kind of trained this way in social work, that you share personal information when it's going to help someone else not to like work on your ego. Yeah, yeah. So I've just made this mission, like if it makes sense, I'm going to share it. And we were talking about the film Angst that was shown to each of the grade levels at the high school. So Angst, is is it about anxiety and depression in high school or in general? 
It is. It's it's speaking to high school age kids. That's who they interview mm. uh, in the film. Although, I mean, no, that's not true. They they interview grade school kids as well. So it encompasses all the ages. They interview the parents, professionals, and even Michael Phelps shows up in it. It's it's really cool, oh, yeah. and he shares yeah. his personal story. So this was not planned, but the junior class at the time, which was my son's class, was in um, watching the film. And they were a little rowdy, which part of it is whenever you're talking about something that's close to people and kids want to hide, you know, they don't want to make it seem like they're paying attention. They'll get fidgety. We're talking about anxiety. They're probably anxious, those who are carrying that around. But we also had a panel and I just felt that they really hadn't followed through on being respectful. And it just came out of my mouth. And I mean, I know a lot of them. And I just said, y'all, I am speechless. And that does not happen often because, (laughs) you know, there's chances are there's sitting someone sitting next to you around you who needed to hear this today. And they may not have heard it because you are sitting here joking around, making noise, you know, whatever it may be. And then I said even further, it hurts me because Michael Phelps story, what he shared is very much my own. And it got really quiet. And so that was not planned. And it was at that moment that I realized, wow, like I really stood on the stage and really told my story just by saying that my story was very much like Michael Phelps. Fast forward, this one group there, and they were probably the rowdiest group of kids. Um, But everyone left. I had some kids come up and apologize. You know, I'm sorry for my classmates. But one of the boys who was in that group, and he was one of the ones, you know, making noise, he came up afterwards to the end of the stage, and he just looked at me and he said, thank you so much for coming. So that is an example is we do not know adults, children, what people are walking around with. And I just think, I think it's really important that we help get rid of that stigma to talk about it. What do you think has happened? Why is anxiety and depression so rampant? Uh, I went to a parenting seminar where it was taught by a child psychologist and somebody asked about anxiety and depression. And he said, you know, when we were younger and we were upset with our parents, we would say, well, I'm going to run away. (laughs) And there's no language for that now. (laughs) Yeah, same. You know, but there's no language for that today. Now, if somebody is upset with their parents, it's, well, I'm going to kill myself. I don't belong here. What happened? Oh, yeah. I I think there's, I mean, there's a variety of things. One, I mean, we keep going back to it. This is in every conversation, technology, social media. I just had a conversation before this. You know, it's a double-edged sword because there's many positives to it. There's many negatives to it. I do feel, and I well, talk- It's just ab- not going away. It's you not. Know, that, like, that, that's not. It's not like, well, we're just going to shut it off. So right. we have to figure out how to coexist with it. Exactly. We need to embrace it. And what I would love to see is that when a minor, which in Georgia, it's I think 16 and under, if a minor is going to get a cell phone or a phone number assigned to them- that there's some kind of video or something that the guardian and the minor have to sit down and watch with each other. It could be 10 minutes in the phone store. And it can just be about like digital citizenship. I talk a lot about with kids, like we have our reputation sitting right here, like when we see each other in town and how we act. But then we have our digital reputation, like what we put on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, whatever you know they're using. And I have asked them, Okay, so I know you in person because I come into your school and blah, blah, blah. If I go look at your Instagram, 
which like, you know, personality, which reputation that you're, you know, what you're putting out in the world, which one is the real you? And right away, they'll say like what you see here. And following up on that, I'm like, well, that reputation you put out there, as much as you think that's gone, if you erase something, it's not. Because A, you don't know if someone took a screenshot. B, it's in someone's mind. And you don't know how far that's, you know, that web of where that's gone. So I think, you know, that has a huge play. I mean, think about it. You know, you're in the lunchroom and like you slip on a banana peel or something, you know, something happens. If that happened back in our day, you know, people would laugh. Maybe a good friend would come over and see if you're okay. So what are people doing now? They're taking out their phones Mm -hmm. and they're filming it because they think it's funny. And then it goes around. Some kids, like the class clowns, will be like, ah, and they won't care that it goes around. But you have a kid who doesn't feel that way. And man, and then furthermore, you know, we could go home and granted their stuff is can go on at home. That's not lovely either. But go home and shut the door and school was at school. Our friends were at their home or wherever. If we were lucky enough, we maybe had phone privileges like to talk to a friend on the phone for a few minutes. But it was just like a hardcore stop. School was there. Friendships are there. And now we're in our house. And that's not the case. I mean, it is around the clock. And even, you know, there's... um a lot of recommendations about uh, having boundaries with the phone and kids can't have it after eight o'clock and all of that and minimize it. And that's great. But even when the phones aren't around them, their mind is still connected to it all. So there's just not that break. So I think that's, that's a big part of it. The stigma is a part of it. Us as parents, we're busy and we're running around. We set examples with our social media. Mm-hmm. I get called on it by my kids um, a lot if I'm on there. And it's exhausting to try and police somebody else and yourself. Exactly. Too. Yeah, exactly. Like so, I'm a straight up addict on my phone and I, I try and put it down. I'm like, I am ridiculous. Well, and I'll say, they'll be like, mom, you know, you're on your phone. I'm like, yeah, but like I'm reading articles, which is true. Like I will right. do some reading, but I can minimize how much I'm reading. There's so much information mm-hmm. out there. Again, you talk about kids and anxiety and depression. Yeah, there's so much information for them to go research. And they don't know if it's false information or true information. I, I, there's just so much coming their way. But I think to your point earlier on when we were talking about the younger age, like your son, being proactive, you know, starting from a young age, teaching them like emotional skills and social skills and communication. So then we're not cleaning up like mm-hmm. what we tend to do in the later grades. Are you familiar with the documentary, The Mask You Live In? I have not seen it, but I got that title. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So The Mask You Live In, this is a documentary that I feel is the best one I've ever seen in my life. And it was life changing for me and my husband to watch. But if I could force every parent or anybody who's raising a boy, Mm -hmm. knows a boy, has heard of a boy to sit down and watch this documentary, I would. It's about the ingrained masculinity that boys are grown up with. So when they are on the playground of be a man, Mm -hmm. you know, don't be a pussy. Yes. Don't, you know, like man up and, and all of these, these terms that you're taught where inherently, even though you're not saying it, you're saying that you are higher than a female. Right. But the worst thing you could possibly be is a girl. You throw like a girl, you act like a girl, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, be a man, man up, all this stuff. And they call it toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the point of it, and I think that 
the systemic issue is that boys are raised to not feel, to not express all of their mm-hmm. emotions, mm-hmm. that they shouldn't cry. Mm-hmm. You know, they shouldn't have that. And very often they grow up and in many cases it can manifest itself in violence, in aggression, in yep. all of that. And they have a sister documentary called Miss representation about toxic femininity. Check that out. Oh my God, it's so amazing. Mm -hmm. The Mask You Live In was on Netflix. Now it's not. You have to pay like $2.99, but misrepresentation is. And they're they're executive produced by Maria Shriver. They're just amazing documentaries. And so I wonder about, I think there might be a little bit of an awakening Mm -hmm. with... Mm -hmm toxic masculinity or even like my husband was raised by by a very strong powerful businesswoman mm-hmm. you know so for him having an ambitious successful wife is that's all he wanted yeah. you know it, yeah. he he doesn't feel threatened at all mm-hmm. um by anything and so he doesn't subscribe to that but he's yeah. also not really athletic you know <laughs> like we're, we're not really a sports family uh-huh. At all. And I, I just wonder how much of that plays to perpetuate being a man or being a, a woman and what that means if people may not necessarily be feeling or identifying, whether it's cisgender or right. queer, yeah. whatever, trans yeah. or any of those things. But I feel like it it is limiting to identify with just one gender as right. as an expression mm-hmm. or being okay to express. So that was a really, really long way to, you know, I'd love to know your thoughts on that. The word that just came to mind as you were talking was like the authentic self. Yes. Like to be able to live authentically, whether it is like your definition of, you know, how you define yourself, like from your sexuality to how you identify yourself, male, female, pan, whatever it is, and, you know, your mental health how you feel, what you're interested in, the stereotype boys in sports, that type of thing. And again, I always go back to kids need role models. We can tell them it's okay to do this and it's okay to do that, but they need to see it. So whether they see in movies or there's family members or neighbors or teachers or other, you know, children. So I go back to an example of when I was going through that depression. I mean, Early on, those first couple of years, I would like try and hide it. I mean, my kids would go to school, you know, I would just like, you know, pass out, try and get myself together. And clearly, they knew when I went into the Emory program. And I was just kind of honest with them, but I didn't fake it. For instance, I finished with that program. Was that really hard to do? Did you have to push yourself to, to be authentic, to be open and transparent about your journey? Because you're kind of trying to figure it out yourself. Yeah. It wasn't something you were familiar with. Yeah, I think by that point, it was just really all about survival. I mean, there was probably a time or two before I probably should have gone into some kind of program and I just kind of waited it out, still kind of covered things up. Although you can talk to my kids. They knew what was going on. I mean, (laughs) kids are, you know, really intuitive and see everything. I mean, it's just known as the funk in my house. That's what, you know, we'll say. And so I just went through it just kind of mildly this last January, really mild for me. And I mean, quite honestly, I'm all about let's be authentic and, you know, out there when appropriate. And I did find myself like hiding it. You know, I mean, my my husband knew and I knew my kids knew, but I tried. I wasn't as honest as I could have been. But the point being is when kids and other adults, too, 
see us being real regarding whatever it is, right? I mean, if a man wants to knit, let him knit. You know, a man wants to sew, let him sew. A woman wants to do carpentry. When I when I lived in Texas, <laughs> talk about stereotypes. And this isn't against Texas. It's just where I happen to be living. <laughs> like I would mow the lawn and I would be out in the garden and I would do all of that. And there was a certain neighbor who would say, you know, why isn't your husband out here doing this? And I'd be like, because he's inside cooking, because I hate to cook, <laughs> you know, and it's, and that's the thing. It's like, we should be authentic to what we're good at, what mm-hmm. we want to do, work as partnerships, whether we're in a team and work or school, working on a project within a family. So to sum it up, there's nothing worse in, than living a life without being able to be authentic in who you are, and your thoughts and your feelings. How do you teach your kids or at least the kids that come through your program about dealing with bullies or being a bully? <sighs> what I do say, there's this movement I started, it's kind of spontaneously just happened. I think partially, it might have come from Mr. Rogers. I love Mr. Rogers. And he has that quote of look for the helpers when you're out in the world. And it was back in the fall, you know, the, I don't want to get into politics and all that. But like, just heavy, a lot of things, a lot of I'm well, with you. honey. <laughs> yeah, like I'm what was you. in the news and what was going on with you know, some family and like, even personally, And I thought back to, it just popped in my mind, talking about like not laying it on like the checkout person at the grocery store. When I was in kind of one of those funks, I remember um, the woman checking me out at Publix. She was just like, hey, honey, how you doing? And, you know, gave me a smile. And it was like, I just, that was like a little kernel that gave me a little hope that day. Okay, there is a reason why we exist and live. And I just came up with look for kind. If we have that filter and we look out in the world, because at the time I felt like I was looking at all the crap because I was focusing on everything going around, but let's twist it or turn it and say, look for kinds. Talking about with kids, we're never going to change the bullies. I mean, we only control ourselves. We can't control anyone else. I don't have the answer, but what I do talk about is kind of, you know, what filter you can you look through? We have to teach them to what to focus on, where to put the spotlight, having gratitude, what they have in their life, and building resiliency. You've heard of the term helicopter parenting, I'm sure. sure. Yeah. Have you heard like the newer term lawnmower parenting? I feel like I have, but I don't know what it is. It's, it's starting to circulate a little bit more. I think it was, I don't know if it was like a New York Times article. Anyway, so I always say like, you know, picture this lawn and it needs to be mowed and like there's weeds and all of that. And you take your lawnmower. I don't know. I mow my lawn. I love it. Sounds weird. <laughs> but like, there's nothing like the first time you push the lawnmower and it's like, oh, there's like clean, you know, nice clean grass. And there's like this path and it's just beautiful and it's easy to walk and, you know, you don't get any bites or chiggers or whatever. So think of that from a parenting's perspective. Life is like that yard and grass and weeds and all of this. And yeah, it can be a challenge to walk through and it may not be pretty and it may be smelly and all there might be snakes in there, you know, whatever. But then as parents, we clear this path so our kids can just walk through and not have to address any of that adversity mm-hmm. or problem solving. And it makes it easy for them. And what do they learn from that? I mean, they don't learn to go up against anything difficult Mm -hmm. to problem solve on their own. Obviously, there's times we need to clear a path for them, right? And we're going to step in with safety. But I think then also as a result of that, if they're not having opportunities to overcome a fear or a concern or a challenge, we pave the way so they don't even have to meet that challenge. They walk through 
where do they then gain self-confidence? Because I know if I look back on my life, probably what's given me self-confidence are the times I had adversity and and made it through. What is your mission? My mission at Gathered and Grounded is holistic, positive and supportive, mental, physical, social and emotional services for youth and those who care for them. So at the end of the day, just to be a place that people can count on, like A, if there's something they want to take there. B, if there's something they think would be important to have in the community, come to me. Let's see if we can make it happen. Maybe we know someone, we can get it going. A safe haven. I'm close to the Decatur Housing Authority. How do people find you? So people can find me on my website, which is gatheredandgrounded.com, Gathered and Grounded on Instagram, Gathered and Grounded on Facebook, and lookforkind.com. All you have to do is just put in Gathered and Grounded and you'll find us. Thank you so much, Marnie. I'm thank so you glad for you having be me. Here. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank this you. This was thank great. I'm so glad. Thanks for listening to my chat with Marnie Grodzin of Gathered and Grounded. I'm always so inspired by people who think of different ways to truly support our future generation. Hearing Marnie's mission of compassion for youth and willing to hold space for the tough stuff and also facilitate the fun stuff is truly a gift. If you'd like to get in touch with Marnie, I've linked her info into the show notes. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe, rate, review, and if you care, please share. As always, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.